0: It's everybody's favorite day of the week, OHL Podcast Release Day. Okay, it's also Friday, but you get two of these episodes every week on Tuesdays and Fridays as we head into the regular season. And once the regular season gets here, you're still going to get episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. The difference is, on Tuesdays, you'll get the two knuckleheads that are sitting here right now. On Fridays, you'll get a feature-length interview with somebody far more interesting and perhaps even more entertaining than the two of us. Uh, The two of us are... Dan Mahar over there. Find him on Twitter at Tim Wallach, just like the former Montreal Expo. I'm Mike Farwell on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. And please do shoot us an email anytime. Love seeing the emails start to come in. We read them all. We'll share them all, good, bad, or otherwise. OHL Podcast at Rogers.com. Kind of teased this on Tuesday, Dansky, about where we were going to go on this episode. And, and we teased it in the context of that. Owen Outwater trade from North Bay to Kingston. So if you missed that trade, just quick recap, Owen Outwater, a first rounder to North Bay last year, 11th overall in the 2021 draft, goes to Kingston for five picks to start this year. Maybe just not developing the way the battalion expected them to develop, but it speaks to how difficult it is to really project when you're drafting kids that are 15 going on 16, perhaps years old. Some, though, Dan, are are surefire winners, and I say that because I'm thinking of a guy like Nick Suzuki, who has just become an NHL captain, and when you were watching him win an OHL championship in 2019 with the Guelph Storm, you were probably looking at him saying, yeah, that guy's got NHL captain material written all over him.
1: I do, and as you know, being a Habs fan, it's near and dear to my heart now, and and I know there were always questions with Nick Suzuki when people look for ways to to suggest he's not gonna realize his potential. He's not that big, he's not the fastest skater. What he is, is a kid that we talk about development, developed in every possible way. Uh, developed mentally first and foremost, thinks the game as well as as any player on the ice a maturity to his game. And this is the piece that I think is going to be interesting in our podcast today, Mike, is the, the maturity piece. And you think back to, I don't want to speak for you, but let's face it, when we're 16, we were idiots. Um, we, we're, we're not, we're probably not doing everything in our best interest for our future development. And we're asking these kids to do it. So you see someone like Nick Suzuki, and you just got to tip your hat to kids like that, that, that figured it out at a much earlier age than the average human being would.
0: I don't disagree at all a full idiot, probably not far from that full idiot even now into my fifties, but that's a whole other story. Tell me if I'm wrong about this, Dan, one of the best things, if not the best thing about following major junior hockey in Canada and the Ontario hockey league. And I've said this so many times, I think it's, I really do believe that it's one of the best, if not the best league in the entire world for a host of reasons that maybe get saved for another podcast. But one of the reasons it is so great is because you get to watch players step onto the ice for the first time as rookies. And then being the expert that you are either sitting in your seat in the arena or in the broadcast booth, like I do, you're like, yes, that's the guy. That guy's going to be a future NHL star. Or you're like, Like, enjoy your time in the OHL pal. You're not going to go much further. And then one way or another, you get surprised by it, but it's the best game. I'm sure fans love playing it as much as I do up in the booth.
1: Oh, it's what everyone does. And everybody thinks they're a better scout than the actual scouts. Everybody, I'll put, uh, let's just say this, every person, in the history of hockey scout or non-scout, the scout has the list of failures and the list of successes on their track record. No one's gotten everything right. No one always knows better. I, I know of several that I thought were surefire this kid's going to play in the NHL and and just didn't work out. And then like you just said, vice versa, I don't think this kid's got it and development curve hit fever pitch and he's there. So it's a fun game to play, but boy, is it a hard game.
0: (laughs) You know, you know who just occurred to me randomly and I didn't check. So this is going off the top of my head, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he's about to start another professional season over in Europe, but Justin Azevedo, of the Kitchener Rangers, who lit it up as an overager. And I don't think anybody had him pegged as a, a future NHLer at all. But just given the style of play and the physical makeup, you thought, you know what? This guy probably has a pretty good career ahead of him in Europe. I don't know that I thought it would be as good as it's been. He's a KHL champion. And as I said, I'm pretty sure he's about to embark on another pro season. The guy just doesn't quit.
1: Yeah, and you look at what makes NHL scouts drool and, and the checklist, and he left a lot of those boxes unchecked. Wasn't a phenomenal skater. Very small player. Didn't have a great shot. Like, at that point, NHL scouts have already turned to some other page. They're looking at someone else. So what is it about kids like him that still manage to put together a game and no one individual skill is overly impressive but just again and again and again they deliver? So it's a, a extremely high IQ very gifted with subtle plays like vision was was incredible with with azzy you have a lot of little factors there that that are you call them intangibles i guess some of them are tangible but over time you you've got a heck of a player there that's carved out a future and the one thing scouts never know is what's going on inside that player's head and oftentimes if they could get inside that head and spend a lot of time with them be wow actually you know i shouldn't have overlooked overlooked this guy
0: I bet you Azevedo has thought of that from time to time during his illustrious European career. Yeah, you may not have wanted me back then, but life is working out just fine in hockey. And not to make it too Kitchener-centric, but another name, its look, it's the team I've followed most closely for more than 20 years in this league. But another name that jumps out to me is Andre Benoit, who had a terrific, a prolific junior career. Uh, still holds the record for Rangers defenseman with most points, right? Overall. And yep. and I mean just a survivor's story almost ended up in the NHL way later than you would have anticipated anybody to finally arrive in the National Hockey League.
1: Well, Andre Benoit is one of my favorites of all time for a lot of reasons, but you you talk about a, a guy that overcame an awful lot. Again, not the biggest guy, not the strongest guy, a lot of things working against him converted from forward to D right around the time he was coming to the OHL, which is a huge challenge in and of itself, but what a maturity there. Like that's a kid that we were talking about earlier with Suzuki versus us. The maturity is just off the charts at 16, 17 years old and highly intelligent. And you look at a player, a storied franchise, like the Kitchener Rangers, the all time leading scoring defender almost never took a slap shot. What does that tell you? There's a, there's a kid that said, I'm, I'm creating my own game I'm not going by the book I'm not going by the age old I have to have a bomb from the point if I'm going to put up points at at elite levels figured out you know what this is what works for me I'm getting this snapper or this wrister through uh through lanes and set records so just a highly intelligent highly mature kid and that that goes a lot further than skill sometimes not that he didn't have skill but you, you you get the point
0: so I think this conversation around the development curve becomes all the more interesting as we watch another quote unquote exceptional player come into the league this year in Michael Misa. And I say that because I've had the privilege of closely covering, well, no, I didn't cover Shane Wright that closely because I didn't get to see him nearly as much as I saw Connor McDavid. But Connor McDavid you talk about maturity, Dan, and I'm sure you saw this in McDavid's time in the league as well. His his IQ, hockey IQ, life IQ was off the charts from day one. And I'll always reference the last interview I had with Connor McDavid, which was a late season Rangers game in Erie. And I was basically talking to him um, as though... This is his swan song. He's into the final weeks of his junior career. And he actually said to me in his answer, I might be back in in this league next year. Even if he was just saying it to say it, it shows the the mental maturity to acknowledge that, yes, I'm probably going first overall. There's not a chance in hell I'm back in junior hockey. But, you know, I, I don't know what that really says about what was going on between his ears, but it spoke volumes to me. And then Shane Wright, Comes along afterwards as an exceptional player and ultimately doesn't graduate out of the Ontario Hockey League as a first overall pick, ends up going fourth in this last summer's NHL draft. So, interesting differences in the development of those players. And now we can watch Michael Mesa and see how he scores. Yeah, and I think
1: you're talking about a big spectrum there. Like Connor McDavid's probably the, the, Penthouse suite there. You know, he's got jet engines for skates and he's got an incredible stick handling. So he had all kinds of ways where he was assured he wasn't going to fail. You look at a guy like Shane Wright and seems to have some of the same air as, as we talked about with a kid like Nick Suzuki uh, a maturity beyond his years, sees the game well, decent vision, all those kind of things. But didn't necessarily explode in his draft year like you might expect from an exceptional player and so he's kind of somewhere in the middle of that spectrum we'll see where it goes i fully expect him to carve out a good nhl career based on the iq i've yet to see misa uh enough to really comment other than the scouting reports and a little bit last year but the ones that would terrify me are the ones that are the sean days the players that were physically mature beyond their years at that age, stood out of the pack, and you say, oh, this, this, this guy's going to tear up the OHL. Exceptional status, dominant player. Then his peers start to catch up. So it's not that Sean Day isn't a very good hockey player. It's not that some of these players that have come through that were monsters at 16, uh, Jacob Checker and Aaron Ekblad, have not carved out good c- careers. It's that how much does the physical maturation at an early stage factor into how you scout that player. And that's where scouts really, really have to know what they're doing, what they're saying. The Connor McDavid's may be easy, but it's the, it's those players that, you know, how is this gonna translate if they stagnate here and the other kids catch up physically? Cause
0: that happens. You know, when you talk about the physical aspect, we kind of started this on the, the mental side of things and the maturity, but all I'm thinking about when you talk about the physical development and how enticing that can be to scouts, I have to think back to, and I think we're, I know we're going to agree on this and everybody listening, all 12 people listening right now also agree with this statement. When I just simply say, Eric Lindros, his name has come up in reference on this podcast. I don't know how many times, and it's always in the same context. One of the very best that they had ever played against strongest, best moving you, you name it. If not for those injuries, Dan, we're 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 having still to this day a different conversation about eric lindros i don't care about the nonsense of where he wanted to play and didn't and put that aside just talk about him as a hockey player without the injuries it's an entirely different conversation
1: yeah and you know eric lindros has some connotations to that name and a lot of them negative because of the nonsense you referenced uh, maybe not the most mature kid at 16 17 uh, in in some ways uh, for his development but what a phenomenal talent and just a physical specimen. And you talk about the injuries and I wonder, he came up in an era where he was a unicorn and, but the era was very much about tough physical hockey and how much he could punish opponents. So that was, that was the development curve in his head that he's got to use his sizes. And of course you want him to use his size, but you wonder how much the overusing his size and trying to, just dominate players physically led to those injuries and if, if he had kind of dialed it back just a notch and said you know i'm gonna play more like a, a le cavalier or, or a barkov or a player like that and try to play my skill game use my size where it's advantageous to to score but not try and just smother other other players and crush them if that might have um provided a little more longevity so that's that speaks to development as well
0: yeah and and maybe it would have but in all honesty would you have wanted him to play any other way? I know it's not your body that's on the line here, but again, just thinking back to the stories that have been told about him, and they were very much that. He was dominant. Like it, if, if I can make the comparison to a completely different sport, but it it's the sense I've always gotten, and I'm not a huge basketball fan, but it's the sense I've always gotten about LeBron James. He simply he doesn't want to just be the best on the floor. He wants to be the best ever. I I think that was kind of the Lindros mindset coming in.
1: Oh, for sure. It was, that's everything he'd always been told, but I'll give you a reference point. Look at a player like Matt Sundin, who was a very similar physical package, different personality, obviously played a different brand of game, had a much longer, more productive career. uh, Probably because of that, he wasn't trying to run players over. He could, and he did, and he physically dominated when he wanted to, and he owned pucks when he wanted to. But wasn't trying to blow anyone up, wasn't trying to send a message, uh, had other players on the team to do that. So I guess at the end of the day, when you're a franchise and you ask me the question, would you want Eric Lindros to play any other way? If I'm the coach of that team, I might have, I might have, you know, let's dial it back from an 11 to an 8 maybe. And I'd. I'd do you rather have a Matt Sundin or an Eric Lindros in the, in the overall scheme of a career? So... I know a lot of people will be yelling at this uh, podcast right now saying Lindros eh, all day because they didn't like Sundin's lack of physicality, but maybe somewhere in between.
0: Okay. So let's bring this back to the Ontario Hockey League and and your point that you made earlier, which I think is spot on the money. As much as the fans are never going to admit to the ones that they got wrong, the surefire hits that missed and the surefire misses that hit. You, you nailed it earlier, Dan, when you said every scout everywhere has a list and, and the ledger, dare I say is almost equal with hits and and misses. They even the very best of the best miss from time to time. What is it about junior hockey and coming into the Ontario hockey league that perhaps makes scouts as successful as they are? I mean, isn't this one of the most notoriously difficult age groups to be drafting because you don't have physical maturity yet. And I'm pretty sure to your point about idiots before as well, that you have mental maturity at the age that these players are coming into the OHL?
1: Well, I think scouting has changed a little. For one, to answer your question about the OHL, it's like you said, it's the Premier League. There's a lot of competition now, but it's the Premier League to, to weigh as a barometer for a player. If you see what he can accomplish in the OHL, it gives you a pretty good barometer of, of how he's going to fare against elite competition at the next level. But scouting has changed too, where oh, it's all the scouts will tell you too. It's all about viewing. So a lot of them, you know, even a, a very good player, they might see four or five times in a season. Uh, some elite players, sure. Maybe they'll see them 10 or 15, especially if it's in their region, but they don't see enough of these players. And that's why it's a constant process of asking questions, asking fans, asking other scouts, asking coaches, ask, and they try and assemble all of this data on a player to figure out what he's like. And now they've added in interviews and constantly talking to the family, talking to the kid, trying to get a sense because it's a huge investment now. And, you know, in nineteen seventy six, if you missed on a player because your your resources were a little thin, so be it, you missed on him, you found someone else. Now it's big business. You can't afford to miss on those high picks and and you really need to do your homework. so i I, I think the OHL provides a really good, Baseline for they know that these kids have left home and gone to these marks. They've they've endured in front of these reasonable crowds against some of the top talent like the McDavid's and right. So they've they've already got a baseline for this. Kids
0: already succeeded to this
1: level. So I just have to do
0: a little bit more research now. I'm going to come back to that leaving home point in just a moment, but I want to extend the mental maturity that has to be present here because I think, and I I could be wrong, but I think people overlook that from time to time if not more often than not particularly fans and look I love you fans you're supposed to be a fanatic you're supposed to cheer and be excited about uh, excited about what's going on on the ice and with your team and that's awesome and don't ever change but but sometimes you kind of get down on player x or y because you don't think they're performing as well as they could be on the ice and maybe that's because there's something going on off the ice I don't want this in any way to be understood as an excuse for any of the awful stuff that has happened because there is no excuse for it there isn't so let me be clear and i'm sure i'll still get flack but i'm going to point out which the the the, this observation of mine that i pointed out in our earlier podcast about the culture of the game right now and how the culture itself needs to change but imagine to what you said earlier, Dan, and if we're being honest with ourselves, when we were 15, 16 years old, the level of maturity we possessed, now think of all of the pressures and forget the hockey pressures for a minute. Think about being in a school classroom where you're the cock of the walk, getting all kinds of perks when you walk into a restaurant or or walk through the halls at school, et cetera, and, and being able to adequately deal with that between the ears when you're 16 years old that I I can't even imagine adding that to the plate I had when I was 16.
1: Oh, it's, it, and you, you're only scratching the surface of what that's like. You think, you know, you you've been this elite athlete your whole life. You're all the messaging you're receiving at a very key developmental age is about how great you are and how phenomenal you are at this and that. And, and you're the, like you said, the talk of the town at the school and and in your friend groups, Yet you've got sometimes coaches who are screaming at you and telling you you're no good and you're lousy and you're lazy. And so that that is the complete 360 degree picture of the messaging you're receiving at a very critical stage. Am I really terrible, lousy and lazy or am I awesome and amazing and girls love me? And and that's a lot to put together for a teenage brain and it can manifest in various ways. And usually it's in the way that's accepted the social norm which is I got to be tough I got to be stoic I got to not show anyone I'm hurting you know you take a shot on the ice you laugh you laugh it off don't let the other team see you're hurting and we've seen all kinds of times where that blows up on a kid and he just can't take it and, and, and snaps and and so it's a very important point when you see the the fishbowl these these kids are in the microscope they're under you have to understand that all these things are coming at them and and It's hard to deal with it. And you take, you know, your Nick Suzuki's and some of the players you reference, And that's, that's good parenting, a good grounded support network, which not all the kids have. Um, It's a lot of things that have to go right for these players and and you should never take that for granted.
0: The point about being away from home is one that I think we sometimes overlook as well, because we look at the players competing for the team in our hometown and they're, our players, right? They're always from Owen Sound. They're always from Sarnia. They're always from Peterborough. But of course, they're living with strangers. They're almost like adopted foster kids during the hockey season. And Don Cameron always told me, and you know, I, I still watch for the trend to continue. And it seems to year after year, rookies after Christmas tend to come back with just something else. Part of it could be because they've got half a season under their belts, but Don always said they go back home for Christmas. They see that their friends are still there going to the school they used to go to. The family's okay. Everybody still loves them. And so even though they've been away for three, four months, everything is still fine, normal back home. They can, they can find it there again, if they ever want it. And then they come back to their junior teams and they pick up that step. And another example I would throw After Justin Azevedo and Andre Benoit, here comes the third Kitchener Rangers reference, but you'll remember him too, Dan. I think Nazem Kadri, it wasn't the Christmas break, but it was his opportunity to go play a U-17 tournament. Was it the Yukon or the Northwest Territories? I can't remember exactly where, but way up north. And it was almost like playing with his peers and doing as well as he did at that tournament made him realize he belonged in the Ontario Hockey League. He came back a different player.
1: Yeah. And that, and that's all those things kind of culminate at some point. And I I think the best analogy I could give their listeners that, that everyone could maybe relate to, if you can think back that far in some cases is, is your high school experience. And if you can remember those first couple months of high school, I think it was a vastly different experience than the last several months of your high school experience. And so you sort out a lot of things in your head and a lot of things in your social dynamics and a lot of things in that are going on, all these messages coming at you and voices coming at you, uh, and you need to get over that. There's growing pains. There's a little bit of hump you have to get over. And that's what these players are all doing too. And some do it a lot quicker and a lot better than others, but, but it, it has to happen. And that's kind of the analogy I would use because we all had to do it. Uh, There's some uncomfortable times in there where you have a lot of doubts and a lot of, a lot of concern, but uh, you're right. Once you, once you figure it out and kind of get over that hump and get into a comfort zone, then you, you can really take off like, like, like Kadri did and some of the other players you've referenced
0: you and i seem to agree and we talked about it on a previous episode of this podcast that Callum Ritchie is a guy that's going to be worth the price of admission this year and is of course as he comes into his draft year uh, we're expecting big things i'm sure he expects big things of himself and the Oshawa Generals expect big things of him and he has not shown any any indication of of not living up to the potential but it's going to be interesting to watch a guy now with this much pressure on him as much pressure as this podcast can put on him too, uh, through the upcoming season. But I wonder if in the big picture here, Dan, what we're talking about with the notoriously difficult evaluations at this age and being unsure really of what that development curve is going to look like, even for a first rounder. I wonder if what we're kind of saying here is possibly we maybe need to be more patient with players, particularly at this level. Yeah, and it, and it
1: reminds me of a point that the handful of NHL scouts that I talk to on a regular basis have always said, one in particular, and that is the difference between a successful NHL player and most of these other kids that we're watching every day in the NHL is consistency. If They have to develop consistency. A lot of them have just as much skill. We've We could probably rattle off. 50 to hundred players in the NHL that had just as much skills, a lot of successful NHLers and never had a career. And that was the difference consistency. The coach has to know what they're getting from this player pretty much every night in and out, shift in, shift out game in, get out. And that's the hardest thing to establish. So if you keep those words in mind, then I think patience becomes a, a key word when we're watching these kids, remember their age, remember how hard it is to build that consistency at this age. And some nights, you know what? They're not going to be good. They're, they'll be the first to admit. Some nights, they're going to be terrible. Some shifts, they're going to be terrible. They're going to make some mistakes that are egregious. That is what junior hockey is all about. Mm-hmm. Got to be a little forgiving. We're looking at the uh, the long game here in the bigger picture, and, and they're not going to have that NHL consistency at this age.
0: I'll go back to what I said before about one of my favorite things about this game at this level is the fun in making those predictions about who's the surefire hit, who's the surefire miss, but I'm going to tell you this as well. And you made me think of it when you just mentioned those conversations you have with those NHL scouts. I don't let those words, those hits and misses go any further than my broadcast partner, or maybe you in a text message, because it's just, it's a mugs game. And having talked to as many of these scouts as you have over the years, I want no part of what they do. Thank you very much. That's your job. <laughs> so I asked you in the last episode, you've got 15 mil, are you are buying a team? You said, no, I'm going to grant you a contract to scout for the Montreal Canadians. Are you going to do it? Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. That, that's what <laughs> you're that's, sure about.
1: That's what floats my boat. And you know what? That's one of those ones where half the fun is, uh, is learning from your mistakes. Yeah. Missed on that one. Got that one. Uh, that's, That's what I I live for. So that, you know, they might not want me scouting for them for too long, but, uh, but sure. I take that job in a heartbeat.
0: We uh, we are guaranteed to make a whole lot of mistakes next week on both episodes of the OHL podcast, because we're going to go through the East and we're going to go through the West and we're going to do the dumbest thing that any podcaster could do in a sports podcast. And that is make predictions well maybe we'll steer clear of the predictions we'll see how bold we get but we'll run down the conferences next week as we're one week away then from the start of the regular season and see where things are how things are shaping up at least from the way that we see it we are dan mahar over there find him on twitter at tim wallach just like the former montreal expo i'm mike farwell on twitter at farwell underscore ohl and remember you can send us an email anytime ohl podcast at rogers.com that's the name of this podcast it's the ohl podcast please give it a like a subscription tell a friend about it if you're not watching on youtube right now there is a the ohl podcast youtube channel and there's only going to be more content there as the season goes on so subscribe like follow along on all of the ohl podcast places hey instagram too the OHL podcast. It's everywhere and it's going to continue being everywhere Tuesdays and Fridays as the season gets underway. We're back next Tuesday with another episode of the OHL. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.